Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. There are Mondays, and then there are Mondays like this where you go, oh my goodness, we need more time because we have so much to get to. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad, glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They have been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. doesn't matter if you're a farmer with equipment needs, looking to buy new property, get a production loan, or maybe refinance an existing loan, or if you're just looking to build a house in the country and uh, need a little special financing on that, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Check them out online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. You had Mississippi State and Southern Miss on Saturday. You had Ole Miss and Arkansas on Saturday night. You had Tennessee losing again in heartbreaking fashion to BYU. You had some blowouts in the SEC. You had a big day of NFL football yesterday. And you've got Monday night football tonight, a doubleheader, including the New Orleans Saints opening their season at home in the Dome against the Houston Texans. A busy weekend and a busy Monday night as well. Michael Borky, what's up? Very jealous of where you sit right now, but I'll get over it. Well, right now I'm just sitting in a hotel room. So save save your jealousy for yeah, about three hours. Yeah, but where that now. hotel room is is kind of the point. Yes, I am looking out the window of the Hilton Riverside. I can see the uh, the Mississippi River where they are dredging. That's a, that's a beautiful site, let me tell you. And um, there's construction going on right next to us. Uh, the old two-canal place building where the World Trade Center used to be is about to become a Four Seasons. And I think, I don't know if I can see the dome off in the distance or not. I don't think I can from where I'm sitting right now, but it's uh, just a few blocks away. Uh, should be fun. There are a ton of Houston Texans fans that are in New Orleans, which was a little surprising to me. I talked to one at lunch today. And they said, one, it's a short drive, two, it's an even shorter flight, and three, the Texans only play in New Orleans once every eight years, and so a lot of people circle this on the calendar and kind of plan for it a couple of years out. So uh, we'll see. I don't think it's like Texans fans are going to overtake the Dome or anything like that, but I think there will be several thousand Houston Texans fans at this game tonight. Which you don't see all that often in the NFL unless it's a game at the L.A. Chargers soccer stadium or apparently the the Chiefs fans completely took over Jacksonville yesterday for whatever that may be worth to you. How about but that? you don't see that all that often. I, I think you're going to see it in Vegas when the Raiders get there and anytime the Steelers play, their fans show up in a uh, in a really big way. Hey, Dad. Happy Monday. What's up, bud? 
What's going on, man? It's good to be back with you after a bit. Like I said, a very busy, busy weekend. A lot to talk about today. I got back to, to exercising today, so that was good. I, I finally felt good enough to get back on the mat. Oh, wait, you had taken a few days off because you were uh, no hot oh, yoga yeah. while you had the sinus issue? Well, it's it's tough to breathe through your nose. It's probably tough to uh, to exercise. So. Could have done hot yoga did outside on Saturday. I, I didn't, I, I, you know, what can I say? I, also, I went for a walk today, too, so I did. I, I doubled up on the, uh, the exercise. I know you, um, you, you did the New Orleans thing this summer for a family mm-hmm. vacation, and then you were yeah. back just a couple of weeks ago, and you ate well. Boy, it's oh, yeah. a city where it's easy to eat well, isn't it? You just, you just throw a dart at the map, and you, you'll find something good. No, no question about it. Yeah, it's uh, it certainly has been good. Rippy, what's up? Not a whole lot. How are y'all? <laughs> good, man. What have you been up to today? A little press conference action on a Monday, right? Yep, Monday press conference. Not a whole lot from it other than confirming what everyone probably figured when they saw the injury and then just everything that happened after. But Mom and Sonogo out 10 weeks with a broken ankle has surgery tomorrow. Other than that, really not a whole lot noteworthy from, from the Monday presser. It was a game Ole Miss was supposed to win, and they took care of business. And even with that said, it was a game where all of us, as we talked about it, felt like there was a lot of, eh, don't really know what to expect. All in all, Ole Miss played pretty well on Saturday night against an Arkansas team that's not very good. So we'll uh, catch up on that here in just uh, just a second. So Ole Miss gets the win against Arkansas. Hey, Dad, Mississippi State gets the uh, the win against Southern Miss. Obviously, the biggest news of that game is uh, an injury to uh, Tommy Stevens, which I guess we found out early or today is not nearly as severe or serious as it was maybe initially feared by some people it could be but still don't know exactly what his status is going to be for this weekend. Is that a fair summation? Yeah, that's that's very fair. That you know, uh, Moorhead said today, day to day, they're going to continue to give him treatment, uh, but they wouldn't rule him out for this weekend. He said that if we had talked to him on, or if we had asked on Monday of last week, was Daryl Williams going to play against USM? He would have said no, and Daryl Williams ended up playing the game in the game and having no issues. So as it is right now, I, I, I'm going to expect Tommy Stevens to be Mississippi State's quarterback uh, on Saturday, but if he's not. Uh, that'll be an interesting question to see who gets the start. Would it be Garrett Schrader, who I thought was very impressive on, on Saturday, or will Keaton Thompson get that? I, I don't know the answer to that right now. But like I said, I think in the end of the day, it's going to end up being Stevens on Saturday. I know when we talked about it going into the year, you, you didn't necessarily put a ton of credence in it, but but there was a particular quote after the second scrimmage where I thought Joe Moorhead was extremely complimentary of Garrett Schrader and the job that he had done. And, you know, I kind of wondered aloud if if he could potentially be the backup. And that was before all the Keaton Thompson news. What was the, the rationale or the explanation for it being Schrader on Saturday as opposed to KT coming into the game? They didn't really give an an, like a, a, a solid answer of why we went with Schrader. My thought would be that if it had been a true serious injury to Tommy Stevens – you probably would have seen Keaton Thompson. He was available per Moorhead to play in that game, um, but they felt like I think they just felt they had the game in hand, even at fourteen to nothing, that they they felt like they were going to be able to win that football game, so they, they had an opportunity to get Schrader some valuable snaps. I know that going into the game, 
they had probably they were planning to try to play him if they could get a margin that they liked. It ended up having to be you know in an emergency situation. But my guess is if they had gone if Stevens had gone to the locker room, they said okay he broke his collarbone, he's going to be out for a long time. You would have seen Keaton Thompson. But as it was, they felt like they they were comfortable with Schrader getting those reps. You you feel confident that that's the case, or or do you think this was a deal where? Let's let's play this forward. Let's say something happens and Mississippi State does have to go to its backup as a starter. Do you not think that that Saturday, in in some ways, was a little bit of a, a, a live game action audition for Garrett Schrader to see if he could handle it and they could make him the backup? Well, I think that he I think he might be the number two guy anyway because I mean he was going into. I felt like he was going into the season a little bit that Keaton had sort of fallen off, and and there is something there's some credence to the idea that this is Moorhead's you know hand picked guy versus Keaton who who was you know left over from Mullen. I hate to use the word leftover; it makes it sound you know, there's a negative connotation to it. But but regardless of that, it's it's possible that that's what you're saying is correct. I, I just think, like I said, I think they felt like they had the game in hand, and with Keaton. They probably if they play, if there's a plan to redshirt both Schrader and Keaton, playing them both in the same game would probably not be a part of that plan. So they've probably had Keaton just available for emergency duty. But I, th- I think that if it had been like I said, if it had been a serious injury to Stevens, I think Keaton might have just gone gone ahead and come on in. Rippy with the uh, the Sonogo injury, what do you think that does to the linebacking rotation for Ole Miss? I know Dante Evans came in and took the majority of the snaps in place of, of Sonogo, but it was a linebacking core and a defense that had looked better in the first couple of weeks. That's a pretty significant blow to that position when you're talking about a guy that had over 100 tackles a season ago. Yeah, I don't think you can overstate the loss. As far as what it does to the rotation, I'm not sure – it does a whole lot in terms of one single guy because you mentioned Dante Evans replaced him, I guess, directly after because it happened on punt cover before they even played a defensive snap. But Jacquez Jones played a lot of snaps. They had Willie Hibbler in there too. I think it probably means Lakia Henry turns into, I don't want to know, I don't want to go this extreme, but sort of like the Sonogo type deal of last year where he doesn't come off the field very often. You could get away with, you know, giving him a breather for a few snaps or a series where you go with a Jones and a Hibbler inside. Or Evans Hibbler, one of that com- one of those combinations. But I think you 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 will see him leave the field less, and I think Jacquez Jones will get a lot more snaps, and I think they'll mix in Hibbler and Evans as well. I think they'll try to. You can't replace him, but I think they'll try to minimize the gravity of the loss by committee. As far as the trickle down effect, I don't think they move anyone over or anything. I actually asked Mike McIntyre that. I just think Sistrunk probably gets a few more reps, and that's probably where the trickle effect ends. But you don't really replace him; just try to do your best you can without him. We will try to unpack Mississippi State's win against Southern Miss when we come back. A little bit later this afternoon, we'll look at Ole Miss's win against Arkansas, a fairly dominating performance in the game, even if the scoreboard didn't necessarily look out of whack. LSU in Texas was an instant classic. Hey, Dad, are you ready to climb aboard the Joe Burrow train? Let's do it. <laughs> you, you needed to see that performance, and you saw it in a big way on Saturday night. Texas A&M overmatched by Clemson, Michigan, and Army. Wow, what a game that one was. And a whole lot more. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. On Super Talk Mississippi. Pick me up, love. Pick me up, love. Every day.
Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday afternoon. Borky, I'm ready to admit something. I'm not sure that I'm admitting it long term or like it's 100% going forward, but I really enjoyed the opening day of the NFL yesterday. It was pretty fun, wasn't it? There were a bunch of good games, some cool storylines, some really good performances, a bunch of former players from the state of Mississippi that uh, that had big games yesterday, some good rookie debuts for uh, A.J. Brown and uh, and D.K. Metcalf uh, as well. Going to get to see a couple of Mississippi State guys in the, uh, the Monday night football games tonight, so uh, a lot of good stuff. Um, hey, Dad, let's jump in and, and talk about Mississippi State Southern Miss. Um, Mississippi State, for the most part, just in control from the outset of that game. They get a defensive stop, go down, score a touchdown, get another defensive stop, go down, score another touchdown. Tommy Stevens, 9 of 10 passing to start the game and made some really good throws. Game got a little weird, I guess, what was it, late third quarter, early fourth quarter, and then just kind of put it away at the end. Yeah, you basically just summed it up. that State State was in control from, from the get-go of this game. And, you know, offensively, you mentioned Stevens, how crisp he was, 9 of 10, and his, his one incompletion came after. If you look at the game, if you watch the replay, you can tell the play before his first incompletion is where he takes the hit that we think uh, may have injured his shoulder there. Um, so, you know, he, he missed a throw that he had been making at all times. And then State brings in Garrett Schrader um, and doesn't really seem to miss a beat. He was 7 of 11. Uh, two of his incompletions were drops, or I, I guess one wasn't really a drop. I've never I've never seen a guy completely lose the ball in the sun outside of a center fielder like that, but Cyrus Mitchell just lost the ball in the sun, and ball that should have been about a 50-yard touchdown uh, just hit the ground because he, he couldn't see it. Um, but Schrader looked very competent back there. Kylan Hill, 14 carries for him, so again, double-digit carries, but they were able to take some of the carries away from him. Nick Gibson had some carries. Lee Witherspoon got into the game uh, for the first time this year, scored a touchdown. So basically, State got everything they wanted out of this game. They, they played well on both sides of the ball. They were able to get a lot of their young players in, some freshmen to make make an impact there. Um, and they, they just looked good doing it. The, the game was, was just never in doubt. On the who gets to play and who doesn't get to play and who's suspended and who's not suspended, I'm so lost on this deal. And I know Mississippi State has intentionally made made it clear as mud as to who's missing games and who's not missing games. Were you surprised that Lee Autry played on Saturday? I was because, you know, as far as you know, sources go and things of that nature, Autry's name had been one that I had heard many times over was going to be a part of this group that was suspended uh for the uh, for the you know the eight games that number that keeps popping up, and that said, you know Mississippi State could have possibly played him in you know one of the four games they have remaining yesterday. I think that would be an unusual choice, um, but maybe you know, the thought process was, well, we, defensive tackle was such an issue against Louisiana. Let's bring this guy in just to you know give us something there and, and go for it. Or it's very possible that you know. He's just not part of it. MSU, uh, the, the, I think the main, or maybe the main football account, tweeted out a graphic that listed Lee Autry as a graduate. So I, I would, you know, just trying to put two and two together. And, and again, I'm doing a lot of speculating here. Um, but if he's a graduate, maybe he, he didn't have any academic issues. So I don't, I don't know anything on that. The thing I do know is if on Saturday Lee Autry is not suspended, then he's not suspended. Then he's not part of this. But if he is suspended, you're going to have to ask the question, why did they bring him in against uh, Southern Mississippi? And their answer will be, we're not talking about suspension. Yeah, we don't have have any update for you on that, exactly. (sighs) 
Weird situation. Kylan Hill, 14 carries, 123 yards, averaged almost nine yards per carry, had a 22-yard run, had one touchdown in the ball game. He has gone over 100 yards in both games so far this season. I saw Chris Doring say that he is the most underappreciated running back in the SEC and maybe in the country. That's a pretty bold statement. I mean, he, but that said, he's, he's playing really, really well. Uh, he, he looks like an all SEC caliber back. And, and you know, he's, he's running very hard, runs angry, to be, to be totally honest with you, breaks tackles, uh, but he's also elusive. The, the, the term that the quote that uh, Moorhead gave us in postgame on Saturday is he's a, he's a small back talent in a big back body. Um, so, yeah, he's, this is the kind of guy that we saw glimpses of a season ago, especially against. The opponent State has this weekend against Kansas State where he rushed for over 200 yards, and State just was never able to give him the ball uh, in, in a way that you know allowed him to, to get going. So far this year, he's got 41 carries. He had 45 carries in his first five games a season ago. So State's got him getting the ball, and he's delivering on you know what you thought you could get out of him. From a receiving standpoint, a pass-catching standpoint, the most catches by anybody were Stephen Guidry with three in the game. But you had a bunch of guys that caught balls. Osiris Mitchell had two catches and a touchdown. Guidry, three and a touchdown. Zuber had two and a touchdown. Kylan Hill had two out of the backfield. Austin Williams, Dedrick Thomas, Javante Payton, Cameron Gardner, Robert Rivers all had one catch. And then you had Dante Jones with a couple of catches, just short catches in the game. But there's a lot of moving around of the football and getting different players involved in the pass-catching part of the game. Yeah, and I think that's sort of by design in the early going. Is you know, because State doesn't have a, a guy like a Jerry Judy or you know what Ole Miss had last year with AJ Brown. That's that real alpha dog in, in the receiving core. They want to try to find that guy, so everybody's getting an opportunity pretty early. Mitchell, you know, even though he had the the one drop, had another touchdown catch in this game. He looked pretty good. Gidry had his first touchdown of the season. You think about last year, Gidry, I don't think had his first touchdown until late in the season. Um, Zuber, you know, a couple of catches for him. I think he's becoming a bigger part of the offense each week. I thought Austin Williams only one catch, but you know he's they're they're finding guys and guys are open. And, and this year, you're you're finding the, the quarterbacks finding them, and that's just obviously the biggest difference in this offense is that the passing game through two games anyway is clicking in a way that it really never did uh, in 2018. I was going to ask you how much of the guys are open is a function of the opponents so far versus a difference in the way these receivers are playing. I think that, you know, the receivers are definitely playing better. And, you know, from a season ago, your first two games were an FCS team and then Kansas State. So, you know, I don't know how much it is the opponent as, as State's offense is just playing better. As Tommy Stevens yeah. has given them the, that element they didn't have a season ago. Southern Miss, you, you saw them up close and personal on Saturday. Jack Abraham efficient, throws a couple of touch, uh, a couple of touchdowns, but also intercepted two times. Doesn't have a ton of big plays in the game. Finishes eighteen of twenty six for two hundred thirty four yards. It was another good game for Jordan Mitchell, so he's had two games and it has been pretty good. Southern Miss in their season opener, really good on special teams with the kickoff return and the punt return. There was almost nothing from a kick return standpoint in the game for the Golden Eagles, though. Yeah, Tucker Day is having a fantastic year as MSU's punter. Obviously, it's only two games. Yeah, in, he is. But, uh, you know, he's put I think four of his five punts have been down inside the the ten yard line. The other one that was uh, actually uh, caught 
on uh, Saturday. Only went for a gain of three on the return. So State's punt punting has been really good. And that's something, you know, one of those things you don't really think about a season ago that State's offense was obviously struggled in their losses. But if you look at their losses, how many times did they give the ball to their opponent in the 35-40 yard line? They simply could not flip the field a season ago. Through two games, Tucker Day has been doing a fantastic, fantastic job for them uh, in, in getting field position. If you want to be part of the show this afternoon, you can do so on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed. It's Sports Talk M-I-S-S. Again, Sports Talk M-I-S-S on Twitter. You can also text the show on the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Just kind of at, at first glance, looking ahead, and, and we'll do this all week long, and we'll get into much more detail as the uh, the week goes along, but the game against Kansas State feels a little bit different than it did a year ago for, for a couple of reasons. One, new coach at Kansas State and Chris Kleeman, their quarterback has been very efficient so far. I think he's completing about 70, 75% of his passes through the first yeah. two games, and they're scoring points which under Bill Snyder, you didn't feel like they were going to do a whole lot of that, regardless of who the opponent was. Um, they've scored some points in the first couple of weeks, and Mississippi State's defense has not been as locked down as it was a year ago. Do you have a different feeling going into the game with Kansas State six days from now, five days from now, than you did a year ago? I think the biggest reason it feels different, Richard, is, is the guys that aren't there for Mississippi, Mississippi State. When we previewed this game a year ago, I was confident in State's defensive line being able to just dominate up front against Kansas State. I don't know that that's going to be the case this year. And then they're so different offensively, the way they run the football. They're leading the nation in rushing. So it's a different look for them for sure. It'll be a different kind of game, I think, as well. That is coming up on Saturday in Starkville, and kickoff is at... 11. I'm supposed to know that. 11 a.m. 11 a.m. Good chance it's going to be warm in Mississippi on Saturday at 11 a.m. Yay. Yeah, and it was uh, certainly warm this past Saturday as well. More coming up with you. We'll continue to look at uh, Mississippi State's win over Southern Miss and a whole lot more. Sports Talk Mississippi, Renaissance Bank Studio on this Monday. Renaissance Bank. under. You on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. A lot of action on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Dan in Charleston, we'll start with you. He says, Moorhead outcoached Hobson. I don't think one of Bauer's teams would have lost that badly. Okay. Dan is a uh, a Southern Miss fan. I, hard I to I get on board with that. Yeah, I don't agree with that at all. The, the, the reason that one of Bowers teams might have lost that badly is because 20 years ago, USM just had better players than they have right now. There's just not a lot of guys on the USM roster that are SEC caliber anymore, whereas they used to have a bunch of guys like that. Howell in Starkville says, yeah, the Kansas State game looks different because you can run the ball down Mississippi State's throat this year. That's I mean, that's the less nice way of saying what I said. <laughs> Bigger concern: the ability for a team to run the ball against State or the secondary play. Oh, secondary is not not really an issue for me for Mississippi State. I think they're they're very good back there. 
Uh, I, I think it's it's more about their ability to to run the football. Team, teams teams are getting rushing yardage they did not get a season ago with Jeffrey Simmons and that group in the middle. Um, from Patrick, Southern Miss should drop the nasty bunch defense logo because they are no longer a nasty defense. Man, you, you cannot use a game. And I saw some of this. I, I have uh, friends now that went to Southern Miss and stuff that I follow on social media. And there were a lot of people that were angry like that after the game. And I just kept wanting to ask them. I didn't because I understand sensibilities. What did you expect was going to happen on Saturday? Yeah. I mean, that's, With that's all true. due respect, what did you expect was going to happen when you, a Conference USA team, went on the road to an SEC West opponent? What did you expect? Well, as someone that didn't watch much of the game and really doesn't know a ton about either side, I think they probably saw the score of last week's game when State played and saw ULL hang around a bit, and they probably expected the game to be competitive than longer than it was. That's probably their frustration. No? Possibly. I think ULL is better than USM after having seen both of those teams. Well, that, and not every game is created that. equal. I, I mean, yeah, Mississippi State didn't play well in week one, but do you think if those two got together again, the game would shake out that exact same way if Tommy Stevens was, was healthy and playing? Probably not. Oh, I agree with you. I just think I, that's probably where the frustration stems from, because at least from the sounds of it, I was keeping up somewhat on the scores app. Uh, before I walked into Vaughn Hemingway or whatever, and it did seem like the game was really competitive from or not competitive. The game was never in doubt from start to finish. Yeah, that, that's very accurate. Well, and and there's also an in-state component to this as well. Uh, okay, yes, it's Conference USA versus a team from the SEC West, but you strip that away and you go, yeah, but but it's Mississippi State, and we're going to be extra fired up to play and excited about it, and it's an opportunity uh, against a team from the SEC. I, I think some of those thoughts probably go into it, and whether or not that's rational or not, that's part of being a fan and part of being excited about a rivalry game, and uh, you know, if, if you want to classify it as a rivalry game, rivalry in the sense that it's two teams that are separated by two and a half or three hours and you know, have the same home state name. Um, so I don't know. And it's going to continue. It's a series that's going to continue to be played. Look, when when these two teams met in Starkville the first time, or excuse me, in Starkville the first time it was a blowout, and then it was a closer game in Hattiesburg, and then was it two in Starkville and then one in Hattiesburg? Or was it? No, it was just one and one. Okay, so it was one and one. Mm-hmm. But this is this was the this start is a two of a, for one. This, this is a two, is a two for, for one. one. Yeah. Okay. So, and what? There's a couple of years break, and then play each other. And is it twenty twenty four and twenty five? Is that right? I have to, I'll have to double check. But yeah, it's something like that. It, it's going to be a few more years before this crank, cranks back up. Uh, Trip Dog on the coast wants to know what the status of Jalen Maiden is, and whether or not he is available. He hasn't dressed the uh, the first two games so my my guess and you know, msu's not giving any confirmation on that is he is part of this group that is suspended gotcha uh hey dad your fan club uh pops up he says i think i saw you before the game on saturday do you drive a red car am i gonna do i really gotta tell people what kind of car, car i drive yeah I, lock your doors buddy i know man they're coming after me here yes hey dad drives a red car oh my god it's it's a big red car though did, did you see the car? It's a truck. It's a, he requires a stepladder, and he has one of those big tires. 
Actually, it's not. No, don't lie to the people, yeah. Rippy. Did Did you see the car that Matthew McConaughey drove in in to do his picks on, on game day? That's actually what Haydad's car looks like. It's just red <laughs> as opposed to burnt orange. But yes, it does have Longhorns on the hood. So if that's what you saw and you thought that was Haydad driving it, you were one hundred percent correct. A red car with a Longhorn ornament on the hood. All right, all right, all right. By the way, do you get good gas mileage in that rig? <laughs> Tremendous. Um, Joseph has a question as well. He says, your thoughts on <clears throat> SEC play for State? I'm not sold on the defense. Too bad last year's D isn't still around. I think they'd go 11-1 and one with this offense. Yeah, that's not the way it works. You don't get to carry it over. But, hey, Dad, the question, this Mississippi State team in SEC play? Yeah, a lot of people have made that same Comparison about 1999 and 2000. It's sort of interesting how it, it, it could never seem to come together for Mississippi State sometimes. Um, when you look around the conference, I mean, it looks like State's going to go 8-4. and four. They play Kentucky. That's a team you think they can beat, especially with Terry Wilson out. What a nasty, nasty injury that was. Um, Tennessee mm-hmm. doesn't look like they're very good. Arkansas the is not any good. understatement of the century. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> I'll, I'll be less nice here. Arkansas is not any good. They're not any good at all. Um, you think you, you can beat? Ole, you should be able to beat Ole Miss. And then you know, you're in your remaining non-conference games. You're going eight and four. And you know, can you beat Auburn? I, Auburn has not shown me anything yet that makes me think they're unbeatable. Even though it's going to be a very tough game on the road. So, outside chance at nine and three. But I think eight and four is very, very doable for Mississippi State. I haven't looked at Arkansas' schedule. Do they win another game? They have San Jose State next week. I think they can win that, surely. They're a 10-point. Arkansas is a 10-point favorite against San Jose State. Isn't that probably more telling than anything? What would, what would Mississippi State Hold on, State wait, 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 wait. No, they have wait. Colorado they play, State this weekend. Yeah, I'm sorry. They are a 10-point favorite this week against Colorado State, and then they have San Jose State coming to Fayetteville the week after. Well, if they, they lost to Colorado State, right, last year? They did. They did lose to them, yes. If Chad Morris decides he doesn't want to get cute anymore and then also plays Nick Starkle the entire game, they should at least win out in their non-conference and win four games. It sounded like he was the only one in the state and maybe some of the neighboring and surrounding states and possibly the continent that thought Ben Hicks was better than Nick Starkle. I mean, two completely different quarterbacks. One was significantly better than the other. Yeah, they moved the ball. They kind of, I know Ole Miss, the last touchdown drive, it was garbage time or whatever, and Ole Miss was playing soft coverage, whatever excuse you want to make. But they did move the ball a lot better when Nick Starkle was at quarterback. They didn't do anything offensively under Hicks. Starkle's got a much bigger arm than Hicks, too, and I think actually moves a little bit better. There were a couple of times where Hicks got outside the pocket and had some room to run, and it was draw a straight line from point A to point B because that's the fastest route. And point A was wherever he was, and point B was the sideline. There was one play I was I was watching that game, and I wish I had a, 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 a screenshot of it because it's he has to run. He, he gets flushed from the pocket, and he's going to take off, and I'm like, he's going to get a first down. That's it's, it's just obvious. There's not even really an Ole Miss guy within five yards with him. He was stopped three yards short of the first down. It's like I was running out there. That guy's slow as Christmas. Yeah. I did actually have a, a flashback to uh, when I played high school football. In no way am I comparing myself. In no way am I comparing myself to a Division One quarterback. Whether he's a good one or not, I, I wasn't. I was uh, an okay high school quarterback that probably could have gone and played at the Division Two level somewhere and been a backup. I mean, that, that's kind of where I was 
I threw it okay, but I could not run. Uh, I, I just was I was slow. I was a like a five plus forty time, like five point one or something like that. I, I just I, I'll own it. That's what I was. But watching Ben Hicks run at one point, I thought, hey. If I had gone on to play college football, that's kind of what I would have looked like if I had been flushed from the pocket and had a little bit of green grass in front of me. Never stop dreaming, Richard. That was not necessarily a compliment, by the way, to Ben Hicks. Yeah. <laughs> if 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 we are uh, just being uh, just being honest, hey, I meant to. Has has anybody actually said other than upper body or shoulder specifically what the injury is with Tommy Stevens? No. No, upper body is all we've got. The assumption is some sort of a strained shoulder, right? Yeah. If you look at the the way he held his, his arm on Saturday, it looks like a shoulder injury. But that is okay. – I'm not a doctor, nor am I Brian Scott Rippey, so I don't know for sure. Yeah. So if he is likely to play or could be in the mix, that makes you think it was not a dislocated shoulder. Um even though that's something you can come back from, it's probably not something you can come back from in just a week's time. Right. So maybe less serious than a dislocation, a sprain, some sort of a strain or sprain. Shoulder bruise or something like that, yeah. Yeah. All right. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Big story in the college athletics world today. Former... Southern Cal Trojan great and NFL great and broadcaster and most recently athletics director at the University of Southern California, Lynn Swan, has resigned effective immediately. Uh, story on one of the uh, Southern Cal sites says the embattled athletic director and legendary receiver has resigned effective immediately per an email sent by new president Carol Folt on Monday afternoon, special advisor to the president, Dave Roberts, will take over as interim athletic director. And that's after Southern Cal had a really good football win against uh, Stanford on Saturday. You go out on a high note, because Stanza taught us that. That would stink to be named Dave Roberts in the same town as Dave Roberts, Dave Roberts. The manager of the Dodgers? Yeah, no, I know who you're talking about. He's fairly popular, isn't he? Yeah, that's just my analysis on the situation. Yeah. Just hey, can't believe a guy Saturday, with but... no administrative experience whatsoever ended up not working out at a major college athletics program. Yeah, the the landscape for being an AD has changed pretty dramatically. You know, the, the, the days of the football coach becoming the AD is kind of a cush retirement job. Uh, those are generally gone. Now, you have some situations where you have former coaches that have become the AD. Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin, and that has been extremely successful. I mean, really successful kind of across the board with its athletics programs. Uh, you got Ray Tanner, the former baseball coach at South Carolina, who is, by all accounts, a good uh, athletics director there. And you have the uh, the recent coup in Knoxville that led to Phil Fulmer becoming the athletics director. Um, my only question is if there is a secondary coup that is in the works that is going to bring him back to the sidelines. There, there are a lot of actual serious people 
that think that could happen before this season ends. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I'm not, I'm I believe not. you. I'm just laughing at the situation. They could have had Mike Leach. They decided they were too good for Mike Leach, fired the athletic director that was trying to hire him, and now have lost to Georgia State and BYU in consecutive weeks in year two of their Saban disciple. Guys, Tennessee's going one and six to start the year. Now, let's be very clear for a second. Um, Phil Fulmer's a smart guy, so there's no way he's firing Jeremy Pruitt prior to their game against Alabama. So they're 0-2. They should beat Chattanooga this week. Of course, you thought they should have beaten Georgia State, but let's just give them a win against Chattanooga. After that, on the road against Florida, open date, Georgia at home, Mississippi State at home, at Alabama. Let's just play that out and say that they lose those four games in a row to get to one and six with a with a closing schedule that looks like this. South Carolina, UAB, at Kentucky, open date at Missouri and Vanderbilt. Would you be shocked if Phil Fulmer put himself in there to come in and be the savior going down the stretch? No, and that would successfully complete the long con that was him returning as the football coach there <laughs> those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it right absolutely it's just you, so you, funny. you remember how phil fulmer became the head football coach yeah, he's the master Boston. of the coup but he, he what I'm just, I'm just curious what does that accomplish long term he's 69 years old nice and has not coached since 2008 <laughs> What what was that? What does that fix long term? Like what what, what is an, that? I don't, nothing. What, it's an ego play. Okay. 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 That's fine. If it's an ego play for him, I get what you're saying. Why would Tennessee people want that? Because he won a national title 21 years ago. Yeah, because they're held on to what happened in the past. They hadn't done a whole lot of heck of a lot since then. I mean, nothing really. Been but, largely non-competitive. I, I get that, but does that mean it wasn't the right time to move off of him anyway? Just because you hire incompetent fools to replace the guy that was pretty good for a while doesn't mean that the guy shouldn't have left or moved on from whatever. And look, Tennessee fans were ready for Phil Fulmer to go when he went. The like, masses like they were are ready irrational. for a change. They weren't desperately hoping that he would hang on for a little longer. But the Dooley experiment didn't work, and the Butch Jones experiment didn't work, and... Look, it, it's early for Jeremy Pruitt. It's really early. That's probably the conversation, isn't it? How much of this is really his fault? Uh, Tennessee losing to Georgia State is whoever's coaching the team at that time's fault. Yeah, they, they yeah. should always have enough players to beat Tennessee, to beat Georgia you, State. You and BYU, to be honest. to Georgia State and BYU at home. This is not Ty Detmer's BYU. Georgia State was in a dogfight with Furman this weekend, won by a touchdown, by the way. Look, the, the deal is this for Tennessee. They have played two home football games against Georgia State and BYU, and in both cases, the opponent was more physical and the opponent was better. You're talking about the University of Tennessee. That is a proud program. Winners and losers coming up next. We'll go through ours. We want yours as well. Text them to us, please, on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. 
number two, Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. We're scattered out all over the place today. I'm in New Orleans. Season opener for the Saints tonight is at uh, 610 in the Dome against the Houston Texans. Rippey's in Oxford. Haydad's in Starkville. Borky's in Jackson. So uh, we got you covered kind of uh, north to south uh, well, basically from, well, whatever. You, you get the idea. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. If you're in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. If um, you're in a spot where you're thinking about buying a recreational piece of property, then Mississippi Land Bank can help you out with uh, with those needs. Um Want your own spot to be able to hunt or to be able to fish? Give Mississippi Land Bank a call or check in one of their branch locations across North Mississippi. You can find those on the website, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Time right now for winners and losers. We got winners. Got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. You have got a lot, a lot to choose from this week when you look at winners and losers. I'll uh let's just kind of go, we'll we'll go round table. We'll go me. Borky, Haydad, Rippy, and we'll go as long as we can on these winners. Gardner Minshew, former high school quarterback in Mississippi, former JUCO quarterback in Mississippi, East Carolina quarterback, transfers to Washington State as a grad transfer, lights it up under Mark uh, Mike Leach, gets drafted, and now he is the starting quarterback in the NFL after the injury to Nick Foles. What a what a journey it has been. Think about the last six years for Gardner Minshew, from where he was to where he is now, big time on the winners list. How cool is that? Yeah, and I hate that. Uh, I, I actually don't know why they traded for Josh Dobbs, but they did trade for Josh Dobbs today. I I hope it's not to start Dobbs over Minshew because I think what you saw yesterday was a guy that was capable of at least carrying you until Nick Foles gets back. And bringing Dobbs in, I hope it's not to start because I think he showed you that he deserves a shot at running the team for a while. It feels like yeah, an insurance move I mean, to me. This feels like an insurance yeah, I, move. I, 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 I tend to believe that you're bringing Dobbs in to be the backup. Yeah. Oh, I don't know about that. Gardner Minshew has how okay. many games of NFL experience? Like he was already seen as kind of a. Like it was already seen as they were probably weaker on the backup end with him as a backup, and he fared well. I'm not. He played great, and it was cool to see because he. I think he's a cool story. But Dobbs has been in the NFL for a long time now. I say long time, a lot longer than Gardner Minshew. I don't feel like you're bringing him in or trade for him at least if you're not going to kick the tires on the fact that he probably might start for you for a little bit. Well, look, what if what if we just phrase it this way? Gardner Minshew has an opportunity to win that job and has been announced as the starter this coming week for the Jaguars. And if he plays well, he'll stay in that role. 
Now, if he doesn't play well, if he looks lost and like he's swimming and, you know, throws three picks and it's too big of a stage for him, then sure, you go to Dobbs for some stability. But I think Gardner Minshew's got the opportunity to be the starter in Jacksonville at least until Nick Foles is healthy. And he's been placed on IR and is out until week 11. So there's some time here for Gardner Minshew to uh, kind of stake his claim as the starter. Who you got, Fair enough. The Army Black Knights, and I know they didn't win the football game, but they took it to Michigan for four quarters and two overtimes. It's something about watching the service academies play good football. I get super nerdy and just swell up with like this patriotic American pride watching dudes that are completely undersized, that are under-athletic, if that is even a phrase that is appropriately used. They don't have the athletes. They don't have the size. They don't get to train all day. They're not at Army to play football. They're, they're at Army to get an education and then go fight for our freedom. And they took it to Michigan on the line of scrimmages on offense and defense for four quarters in overtime. That was so much fun to watch. I was clapping and cheering and carrying on in my living room watching Army and Michigan. Wish they would have pulled it off, but that was still so much fun to watch. They dominated, especially their defensive front, dominated Michigan up front for four quarters. And it was so much fun to watch. So Army, hey, hey, Borky, even though they you, lost, they're winners. Borky, you, you, you know what hypothetically could be a nerve-wracking experience for someone? Hi- hypothetically. Is if they looked at the uh, the total for Army and Michigan and thought, no way that gets to 47 and a half. <laughs> and then they look at a 14-14 game headed to overtime and go, uh-oh. <laughs> I told <laughs> If you this all thing that, goes more than one overtime... If it goes more than one overtime, this could get interesting and uh, could be all set up for a segment on Scott Van Pelt's Mad Beats. J- just saying, hypothetically. Hypothetical. Richard was rooting Army. against the troops. He texted me and told me so. Oh, uh, I told y'all Army was going to keep that game uh, close. I, I did. They did more than keep it close. They the, should last have two won. losses. Should have won. Uh, uh, spanning won. over two seasons are overtime at Oklahoma and overtime at Michigan. That's impressive. And conversely, Shea Patterson. Hey, Dad, you're up. Oh. How can it not be Joe Burrow for me, right? I got to go there, don't I? My goodness, that guy's <laughs> been an unbelievable display. And then, look, I said on the show, I said, look, LSU's doing this new offense thing great. Let's see what happens when the chips are down against Texas. Well, when the chips were down on third and long, Joe Burrow throws a strike to end the game. That guy, right now, if you said, give me a Heisman ballot, you were only two weeks in, but. He's on it. He's on the ballot with Hertz and Tua and Trevor Lawrence. The guy's playing incredibly well. LSU is officially scary. If we did polls the right way and bait really did it off of what's happened this season, they would be no worse than second in the country. And I won't be completely surprised when we get to November if they're a real, real challenge this year against Alabama. Who would you put in front of them? Clemson? Clemson. Clemson being Texas A&M is, is, is an impressive win for me. Okay. I, uh, no, yeah, I don't disagree with that as all, uh, at all. And the way they went about it kind of dismantled them also. Uh, Rippy, give me a winner. Cal, they went on the road and beat Washington on Sunday morning. I think it was even Sunday morning out there. They had some kind of weird storm. That game was still in a delay when I got back from the old Miss game to give you a gauge of how late that was. It was... Uh, I didn't get to watch much of it because I couldn't even stay awake for that. But after struggling with UC 
what is it, UC Davis? Going yep. on the road and winning there seems like a pretty solid yep. win. That officially makes me wonder what that line for Ole Miss Cal is going to be because now I don't have a clue. I would say Cal's probably going to be favored. Yeah, you may be right. I mean, what, 20 to 19 was the final, and there was a three hour weather delay. So basically, the length of the time that it length of time it should have taken to play the entire game they started the game had a three-hour weather delay mid first quarter and then and and it was originally let's see it originally kicked at 7 30 central time uh, i'm sorry west coast time because it was a 9 30 central time kick so they got to about 9 45 central time and then didn't start playing again until almost one o'clock and then had an entire game basically still to play um, I bet they slept well whenever they finally uh, got to bed. Uh, here's another winner for you. How about Dak Prescott? Career-high 405 passing yards, four touchdowns, 25 of 32 in the Cowboys' dismantling of the Giants yesterday. He, um, he He's kind of making a case to be paid a lot of money from Jerry Jones whenever they get around to doing a deal. Yeah, that, that performance was probably worth an extra 2 to $3 million right there. <laughs> Borky, that's smart money, right? Just pay, just pay him whatever he wants, and we'll figure out the rest down the line. Give yeah. me another winner, Borky. And they did that also without using Zeke that much, which kind of shows you that you don't need to pay him big-time money because you can still win. But anyway, uh, Ryan Holinsky, uh, what he has been through, uh, and even though it was Charleston Southern, uh, to take your first start and your first game action as a young quarterback with all of the heavy emotions, and you saw it when he was walking into the stadium with – uh, the hug that his parents gave him, and you could see a lot of things were just coming out of them uh, after uh, everything that that family has gone through. And then to go out and play as well as he did, uh, we'll see if it translates more down down the road this season. But he was great on Saturday, and it was a very emotional uh, situation and, and good for him and that family. We will have more in winners and losers for you when we come back, including your submissions. You can text them on the C Spire text line to us, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Winners and losers from the weekend, and you have got a lot to choose from. we got more coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey continuing with winners and losers from the weekend. We've got a bunch of uh, submissions from you on the uh, C Spire text line. Let's uh, wrap a couple up of ours also. I I did have Ole Miss jotted down here. So much better in week two than they were in week one. But if I was going to put a group specifically on the winners list, it would have to be the offensive line. That was an offensive line that was just a disaster in the first half of the game against Memphis. They were a little better in the second half, moved the ball some, but Ole Miss rushed it for over 200 yards on Saturday night and also threw for over 200 yards in the game. And uh, Matt Corral was sacked only one time. And that shows some improvement from week one to week two. Part of that was uh, Nick Broker playing a lot and playing fairly well. I think he had one penalty in the game. Uh, Michael Howard didn't play as much, but he was more effective. Eli Johnson was more effective in the middle of the line. Ben Brown's been consistent through a couple of games. Bryce Matthews played a bunch. And that was with Alex Givens not even playing in the second half because he had a stomach ache 
of some sort. I, I don't know the severity of it, but I know he didn't feel well enough to uh, play in the second half. So um, offensive line winner for Ole Miss in week two. We'll see if that's the case going forward. Any other winners that we've just got to get in from you guys? Well, Kylan Hill was pretty magical, but that's, you know, if you give him the football, that's what he's going to do. Yeah. Elijah Moore played pretty well. He did. Should we give two touchdown I, catches, 130 yards on, uh, what, seven catches total? It, it ended in a tie, but should we give Kyler Murray some, some, some love here for uh, leading his team to a, a pretty nice comeback against the Lions yesterday? If, if you want to do that, I'm okay. He was awful for three quarters and then was really good in the fourth quarter. But if you're going to give Kyler Murray winner status, then you got to give the defensive back who had that just gift-wrapped interception handed to him that he dropped mm. with, what, eight seconds left in overtime yeah. that would have given the Cardinals a chance to kick a field goal to win it and complete the comeback? He's got to be on the loser's list, doesn't he? Put him on there. There you go. Um, it, it feels like we're um, beating a, a bit of a dead horse here, but Tennessee has got to be on the loser's list. And, and it's not so much because they lost a game to BYU, but if you look at the very final play of the game, it's a bit of a, a microcosm of the first couple of weeks of Tennessee. They stacked the running back up at the three-yard line, and then he pushed his way into the end zone and ends up falling down like two yards deep in the end zone. BYU just handled Tennessee at the offensive line and got the uh, win as a result. So uh, Tennessee football, tough time right now, kind of headlining the losers list through two weeks. You want to know who wouldn't have lost to Georgia State and BYU in year two? I bet you're going to say Mike Leach. Mike Leach, but also Greg Schiano would not have lost mm. those two games either. There's your hot take for your Monday, but uh, if it wasn't for a, a radio host's led outrage because the name wasn't strong enough, they ended up with Jeremy Pruitt, and the university didn't want Mike Leach because he talks about aliens sometimes, and now look at what they've got. Sometimes you, uh, you get what you ask for. Here are some of your submissions. Uh, Garrett and Hernando, he says, Winners. Evan Ingram, A.J. Brown, and D.K. Metcalf, all three led their teams in receiving in week one. Evan Ingram in the loss to the Cowboys for the Giants went for over 100 yards, had a touchdown catch. A.J. Brown had three catches for 100 yards. D.K. Metcalf um, set the debut rookie receiving record for Seattle, surpassing the number of yards that Steve Largent had in his debut on a day when D.K. Metcalf wore a Steve Largent jersey coming into the stadium. That's pretty, kind of pretty cool symmetry. Yeah, and it's remarkable for a guy that wasn't even a top 10 player in Mississippi, according to some, uh, coming out of high school, and yet he can <laughs> go be very good in the NFL as a rookie. And just the, the meteoric rise he took from not good in high school to NFL is pretty awesome. I think that both of those guys in those offenses are going to be needed pretty heavily, too. At least that's what it looked like from week one, which is good because you saw, obviously, Lacan Treadwell has some issues with regards to his skill set, too, but I don't think it was the greatest fit when you have Adam Thielen and a couple of other guys that have emerged in that offense. So sounds like they're in schemes that fit pretty well for them, at least in the immediate future. On that note, how about the Cleveland Browns? You spend all offseason just talking and talking and getting hype and talking some more and getting more hype, and then you just 
get absolutely smoked by the Titans at home to open the season where you were already planning your Super Bowl parade. Colin Coward watched at least 80% of that game aroused. <laughs> that would that fit into his perfect, like, his shtick with Baker Mayfield that couldn't have fit in more perfectly. Well, but to even, his credit, he called it. It's not even just Baker. It's the team is filled with a bunch of, of misfits, and it's entertaining, but they had a bunch of personal fouls. They were undisciplined. Their best offensive lineman kicked a guy in the face and got ejected from the game. That's what Ooh, that team's that. going to be. Can't do that. Steven on the C Spire text line. Loser, Tennessee and me. I bet on them manning up after that terrible loss the previous week. They ruined my $500 parlay. Oh. oh. On that oh. note, talk about a bad Ooh. beat. If you were a Clemson better. Oh, God, the backdoor cover. The backdoor cover. It was 24-3. to It's a 17-point line in Jimbo Fisher's calling his timeouts with under 30 seconds left to get one touchdown <laughs> as time expires to cover the spread. Speaking they, of had a, covers, uh, they, winning, they, winner, had, Brian Adad. He's going to dinner on Michael Borky's tap. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, I didn't get the 10 but uh, because Texas scored late. But I, they I'm, scored late. Uh, he he got the backdoor cover there, but uh, so I guess I owe a mistake now. Uh, I guess Paydad's putting himself on the winners list. I'll put myself on the losers list. My roommates took me dove hunting yesterday, and I shot a box of shells and didn't hit anything but air. Ooh. <laughs> so, well, Peta would great. say that makes you a winner. What? Peta would say that makes you a winner. I guess that's true. It was a lot easier than I thought. There's no stalking or calling involved. Yeah, you just sit and drink beer, and they fly right to you. Yeah, they, they were not in any danger by me. Uh, here's a winner, um, Tom Brady. The passing performance he put up last night with Edelman, Gordon, and Dorsett. Oh, and Antonio Brown shows up for week two. Loser Melvin Gordon. After the performance Austin Eckler put on for the Chargers, the contract he is wanting is now in the rear view mirror. I got a loser. Um, tell it. Richard Cross's Nebraska Cornhuskers. Ooh. <laughs> that was rough. Lose to Colorado. I mean, Colorado, not great. Mel Tucker in his first year out there. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't understand why Nebraska was ranked. They were 4-8 and eight a season ago. They struggled in week one against South Alabama at home, and they jumped into the polls. Well, they just jumped right back out. Speaking Aren't they of the Tennessee of the Midwest in that sense, in terms of why they get, I guess, hyped so quickly? That's a very good analogy. They didn't have any business losing that game either. They were ahead for like three and a half quarters. Yeah. And just gave it away late. Speaking of losers, uh, AP poll voters. We shouldn't look at the AP poll anyway because it it doesn't factor into anything anymore. But if you're going to do a poll, at least do it right. LSU being ranked behind Georgia and even Alabama and Clemson to me doesn't make any sense right now. You had some voters that had them number seven or eight in the country. Nobody... After two weeks, because this is all we have to go by is what we've seen on the field, has a more impressive win and has looked better than LSU. Why is LSU behind Georgia right now in the polls? Because of where they started. But I'm with Haydad with what he said a second ago. If if I had a ballot, I'd have Clemson 1 and LSU 2. And I wouldn't disagree with that. I'd put LSU 1, but, you know, they both have impressive wins you're I think LSU's looked better, right and you're yeah. splitting hairs. But my goodness, behind Alabama and Georgia, with the exception of projection, why are they behind them? They shouldn't be. 
So don't yeah. even waste your time doing a poll anymore if that's going to be your result. But that's kind of the way they've operated for – I'm not saying it's right. I agree with you. I think that's kind of dumb. But isn't that probably one of the reasons why the preseason polls are dumb and the college football one is the only one that gets it right? Is One, you don't really know going into the season. And two, you have these teams that arbitrarily have to stay where they are until they lose. That's just kind of how the, the nature of them, and that's precisely, I guess, why they're dumb. Let me squeeze in a few more from the uh, C Spire text line. Caleb and Olive Branch says, Winner, Rafa Nadal on his 19th Grand Slam victory. Give a little love to tennis. He's now just one shy of Federer all time. Went almost five hours for a five-set win at the U.S. Open and uh, sweated a lot, if you watched any of that. Lucas in Union says, Winner, U.S. Walker Cup team getting a victory for the first time in 12 years on foreign soil. Loser Baker Mayfield for that terrible performance against the Titans. And hey, Dad, there was this from Charles and Meridian. Loser, uh, those that wanted to use the concession stands that were closed at Mississippi State on a day in which a heat advisory was issued. Yeah, not a great day for MSU on that one. Yeah. John Cohen calling out the concession provider and said, we will be better uh, going forward as well. Uh, Jamie in Oxford says, winner Nick Saban. Loser reporter that asked him about playing cupcake games, he says, get on the phone and you can get us better games if you can. Um, I, You know, I didn't think the question was terrible. It was just something that Nick Saban has asked a lot. Uh, the guy asked if uh, a game like this can get you ready for the SEC. Let's dive in and look at Ole Miss and Arkansas from Saturday night when we come back with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. I know I said we'd move on from winners and losers, and we will, but there are a couple that I just wanted to uh, get to. One's going to be out of spite, though. Uh, Texas Matthew McConaughey a loser? Is Matthew McConaughey really ever a loser, though? No. He was pretty good as a guest picker. I saw he he actually called him Louisiana Tech. Did anybody else see that? Yeah, apparently when he's picking the game, he called them La Tech one time. That probably didn't sit well. That maybe have been intentional. <laughs> That's awesome if he did that. Yeah, I'd say it's even better if he did mean it. Um, there was a text here. Did, did you mean to say it would be a lot cooler if he did, Rippy? Fair point. There you go. Fair enough. Uh, let's see. Richard, I'm not crazy about Joe Moorhead, but I'm sure glad we didn't get Jeremy Pruitt. So far, Joe Moorhead is infinitely better than Jeremy Pruitt. One other loser um, you should have on this list is Mike Greenberg. Said that the Antonio Brown thing was the most unprofessional thing he's ever seen in sports. Aaron Hernandez killed a guy. <laughs> Perspective, right? I mean, the I team know, that he just signed with illegally videotaped another team. It's worse than being Which an Greg idiot on media. Latrell Sprewell choked his coach out. Plaxico Burris shot himself in the foot. I mean, what are we talking three about? Years at Rikers this is Island. the most unprofessional thing? Check him for dementia. Greg and Nettleton, we used to be cool. I guess we're not anymore. He says, thank you, Richard, for not reading my text. I really mean that. Wouldn't hurt my feelings if you never, ever, never read another one of my texts again. I'm just here to support my man, Brother Borky. So I'm going to read his text. 
He said loser. Arkansas fan base. That whole section was empty in the stadium. I mean, yes, that's a bad team. I get it. But in the words of Richard Cross, geez, what's up with that Razorback fan base? That was weird, wasn't right it? Now. That was weird, wasn't it? Because like Ole Miss's stadium, for as odd as it was, I actually thought filled out okay. You know, people love to dump on the students, but they filled out pretty good, at least for the first part of the game. But that Arkansas section where they have the visiting fans now, that one on the right or just to the left if you're facing the south end zone, was bizarrely empty. It kind of made it kind of made like an eerie setting. I think their fans it, know. It, I think they know yeah. that they're not good. Yeah. They, they filled up the majority of one section down in the northeast corner of the stadium, and then there were scattered Arkansas fans along the first three or four, maybe five rows, kind of along the east side. And then the southeast section that is reserved for visiting fans had like 75 people in it. It was my, – my guess is there were a couple of thousand, maybe maybe 3,000 Arkansas fans there. But that feels pretty generous. And even in years when Arkansas was not great in the past, that was a game where they easily brought 4,500, 5,000, 6,000 fans. So that was um, – it, it was a little bit different. So let's use that as the, the jumping off point to, uh, to get into Saturday night's game. So Ole Miss jumps out to an early lead in the ball game, and it was 10 to three at the half. But Rippy, didn't you feel like it was a 10 to three where Ole Miss had pretty much controlled the game? I did, and I honestly felt like it was setting up for the type of weirdness that people have become accustomed to seeing in this with the recent his, history in this series because it felt like Ole Miss had controlled a lot of the game. Arkansas was not doing anything offensively. Ole Miss wasn't exactly tearing up the field with what they were doing offensively either, which is a large reason why it was as close as it was despite the yardage discrepancy. And so, yeah, I, I did. I felt exactly that same way. It was interesting at halftime. It felt... It didn't feel as close as the score. And then even it got to the fourth quarter to where that was the case after the fumble thing, not to jump too far ahead. But to your point, it felt that way for a lot longer in the game than I thought it would. Yeah. I I completely agree with what you were saying. Because it's an Ole Miss team that you wonder if they figured out how to win. Uh, in the locker room at halftime, this was – it doesn't happen all that often. Just, just kind of the mechanics of, of what Ole Miss does at, at halftime when they're at home. They go out through the southwest tunnel, and there is a locker room that's right there underneath the stadium. They don't go all the way back into their main team locker room. And they sit there, and usually it's the players and the training staff and like the nutrition staff that's in the locker room first. And the coaches – they all have a like a coach's locker room off to the side where they go in, they talk, they make whatever adjustments they're going to get, they get the stats from the first half, and then the coaches come in, and usually it's the assistant coaches that come in first, and they'll meet with position groups, and then usually the head coach comes in and you know has some sort of a brief speech, and they come back out. Well, Matt Luke did not go to the coach's locker room first. He went straight into the locker room and was like screaming at the top of his lungs in every direction – Nobody told you it was going to be easy. Nobody told you it was going to be easy. You got to fight for, you know, for a full four quarters to win. But it was like he wanted to make sure that his team knew they had a chance to win. But again, Rippy, to your point, it's a series that's had a lot of weirdness in it. And Ole Miss controlling the game in the second half is up 17-3, to and they're driving to put it 
what seems like it's going to be an insurmountable deficit. And then you have a weird play where Matt Corral has picked up positive yardage and he sees Octavius Cooley and decides to pitch it back to him on a play where the ball is not designed to go back to Octavius Cooley. It's just kind of like, oh, goodness, I'm going to see if I can make a play. Cooley catches it cleanly. Arkansas swarms him. He gets stripped. They scoop it up and take it all the way to the other end for a touchdown. And now it's a one-score game, and it feels weird, and that was one of those weird plays. That was a nice little scoop you picked up there on the halftime stuff. I didn't know that happened. Now you know. But, yeah, I do agree. I think that was probably a pretty important moment for an offense that has a lot of young guys on it because you had the thing. Rich Rodriguez described it as Cooley is an option on that play. Cooley was not an option at that moment on that play, and he said, I really can't repeat the conversation I had with Matt Corral after he did that. But, yeah, I mean, they they went down the – it felt like that game was getting weird again. I had overtime forecasted in my future once that happened because they hadn't done anything offensively. And then it makes it 17-10, to 10, and despite them not having done anything offensively, them being Arkansas, it's like, well, now all they have to do is score one touchdown and they get a stop. And if you look at 15-16-17, like I've seen how that movie ends – and Ole Miss went right back down the field. Elijah Moore made a great play in the slot, beat a guy, I think, in cover one. And at that point, the game kind of felt out of reach for Arkansas when it got to 24-10. But there was definitely a window for the game to get the level of weird it's gotten in the last couple of years. And Ole Miss prevented that from happening because Cooley had the strip. Or Ole Miss was controlling that game in 17 when Cooley got stripped after he made the play and Arkansas got yep. the ball. So it was very similar to that. Matt Luke pointed that out in the postgame. But... Yeah, that's a that's probably a pretty good both learning moment and moment to build on for offense with a lot of young pieces because they went right down the field and really kind of left no doubt after that. We got some mileage last week out of multiple coaches using the you know biggest improvement comes between week one and week two. I don't know if it's ever been more evident or, or it's ever turned out to be more true than Ole Miss week one to week two with the improvement they made, especially on the offensive line. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how everyone ends up grading out, but you saw the first action with Nick Broker. He and Michael Howard essentially alternated drives. I think it got a little... I think Howard played... Richard, you would see better than I could, but I'm pretty sure Howard played a little bit of right tackle in the second half when... when Givens was dealing with whatever he was, but it was essentially alternating drives for the first you know, two and a half ish quarters of the game. And I think he broker acquitted himself well, which is a good sign for Ole Miss because if he had been completely overwhelmed and completely swamped, they would have really been in a bad place again on the offensive line. I don't think that's a problem that's necessarily gone away or going away because Ole Miss is going to face a lot better defensive lines than Arkansas's. But at least for a moment you know Nick Broker could handle an SEC game that type of environment fairly well and you're in a better spot than you would have been if he were just completely uh, drowning, floundering, whatever phrase you want to use. But him being at least competent was a good thing for them. They also helped themselves there, didn't they? By They moved the pocket a lot, rolled out Matt Corral. He's good on the run, very uh, good on the run for a young quarterback. They did uh, some play action stuff, a little dump off to the tight end that was successful. Uh, moved the pocket uh, had a couple of screens as well. One that uh, would have been a, a big gain if Matt Corral just doesn't miss Jerry on Ely. So uh, they were better up front, but they also helped themselves by moving the pocket, uh, doing some play action misdirection stuff, some two back looks that you saw occasionally. Uh, that went a long way as well, alleviating the issue that they had up front. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the, to your point, they they helped themselves more. But where you could probably sense where they got better on the offensive line was that Scotty Phillips was at five and a half a carry for the game. That's pretty good. Quickly, you, you guys saw it both. How much better do you think Memphis is than Arkansas? I, I said last week before this game that they would beat Arkansas by three touchdowns. I still stand by that. They're definitely better than them. Although with Starkle, though, that changes things. If you're comparing defenses that are a little closer, but Arkansas is just so awful offensively. And to Borky's point, I'd like to see more of Starkle. But with the Hicks-led offense, they uh, they were not good. Not good. No. I get the feeling that Ole Miss would like another shot at Memphis. Obviously, that's not on the schedule, and you don't get to play. May not play him again for another twenty years. Who, who knows? But but I think Ole Miss would like to kind of improve a little and and take another shot at Memphis just to see how it turned out. Uh, we'll get to more of uh, your thoughts and uh, some more analysis on Ole Miss and Arkansas when we come back with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. <laughs> Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Ceasefire text line from Jay and Tupelo. Come on, Richard. Every team wants another shot when they lose. It was a much improved performance, but Arkansas is bad. I almost spit my drink out when you made that take. I, I didn't think that was like some flaming hot take. And and yeah, I get when you lose a game, you, you want to take another shot. I'm just saying I wasn't blown away with Memphis and I think when the season is done if Ole Miss improves some offensively that could be a game where they look back and go man I'd love another shot at that I mean it, that could be the difference in being a bowl team or not being a bowl team and it's the well, same yeah. thing with Missouri too I, I think if Missouri and Wyoming lined up again this Saturday Missouri would win that football game relatively easily it's just one of those things it's not that you weren't. I'm not taking away anything away yeah. from Memphis. It's just that uh, the the same Ole Miss team, with the caveat being that Arkansas is bad, the same Ole Miss team that you saw two days ago, I think would go to the Liberty Bowl and win. I, I Mississippi think, State would have loved another shot at Florida last year. There's always one game that you felt like you got away, and to Richard's point, if Ole Miss does continue to improve, and they have a long way to go because Arkansas is atrocious. But if Richard's point, like what I think we were trying to say, is like if they're at the four or five win mark towards the end of the year and they miss it by a game, they Memphis would be like the one they felt like it got away. I don't think that's as outrageous as saying like you know Ole Miss wishes he played his home games at the Liberty Bowl or something like that. Like I didn't think what you said was outrageous. Yeah, Ethan and Guntown, Rippy, this may be a question. Well, you and Borky both. Are you sold on the Ole Miss defense yet? Obviously improved, but can they keep Ole Miss in games? This guy's been listening to our conversation in breaks, Borky. <laughs> Seriously, though. Um, the consensus is they are better. They are clearly, obviously better. They're better coached. They're in better positions. The scheme is better. The defensive backs actually turn their head around and look for the football sometimes. But there are still some limitations, and those will come out when they play the better teams on their schedule. They will still look improved when they play in Alabama, but they are still going to be limited when it comes to the best teams on their schedule, and that's okay. I said this on Saturday night, and I wrote it as well, but, yeah, you're going to be able to gauge how much better the Ole Miss defense actually is when they play competent offenses. And I got some pushback because, like, you know, Internet guys are like, well, anybody could see that they're better. Like, thanks, buddy. That sound over your head is the point flying by. But it's... (laughs) 
it's it's like it's like it's going to be easier to gauge how much when they play offense that can move. Like yes, they're obviously better. Like Borky said, they know what they're doing schematically on a given play more often. They populate the ball better. They tackle better. They have they probably fare a little bit better in the three four, and they have a little bit more depth just naturally because they have more scholarships now than they did at times last year going into games with fifty players. All I'm saying is you're going to be able to gauge exactly how much more improved they are when they play a team with the when they play an offense with the pulse. That all makes sense. Um, a couple of other thoughts on the game. We talked about this a little bit at the outset today. What does the injury to Momo Sonogo mean for the Ole Miss defense? It's tough. I mean, it's he's their most established linebacker. He's the best linebacker on the team. Is there a world where Lakia Henry could end up giving him a run for his money for that title? I suppose, but he's it's 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 you probably saw it, and I'm writing about this later today. But you probably saw it. Like Mike McIntyre noticed it when you know everyone on the defense and probably some guys on the offense went out and kind of gave him you know their best wishes as he was being carted off the field you don't see that for every single player and i think it's the leadership factor and getting the calls in and getting everyone else lined up correctly they're they're going to miss almost as much as his production can Ole Miss grow at wide receiver Elijah Moore is good and Ole Miss is going to do everything they can to get the ball to him in space as much as they can but good defenses if Ole Miss has only one playmaker at that position are going to be able to key on him. Do you see development happening with the right wide receiver group? I don't know, but that's going to be the difference in whether this offense probably remains good or if it really, really struggles. Obviously, the offensive line, you know, if they don't block, nothing else really matters. But to your point, Dontario Drummond, I believe, was the only other receiver to catch a pass other than other than Elijah Moore. And so they need a Miles Batter or Demarcus Gregory to kind of improve and or or Dontario Drummond falls in that category too. He had two early catches, a couple early targets. Didn't do a whole lot after that. Had a pretty good catch negated because he pushed off for OPI. And so yeah, they're gonna need one or two or more of those guys to kind of that step was a really up. Bad I would like to see offensive pass interference call, by the way. Oh, you didn't think it was OPI? No. Anytime you extend the arm like that, it's going to trigger the call, I think. but I, I agree. Yeah. I know why they called it, but it, I did not think there was enough contact there to justify offensive pass interference. Yeah, regardless, I'd like to see another game what it looks like with Braylon Sanders on the field, but either way, they're going to need a battle, a Drummond or somebody to or to Marcus Gregory. One of those guys is going to have to emerge and, and be a factor on a consistent basis. How big of an impact do you think Nick Broker had in the game? 30 seconds. Alternating drives, tough to tell, but I think he definitely made an impact. I, 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 right. That's hard for me to gauge. College Football Fix is coming your way when we come back at Sports Talk Mississippi on this Monday afternoon, headed into the 5 o'clock hour in the Renaissance Bank Studio. <laughs> Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, good to be with you. Hope you enjoyed the weekend, and now we roll toward week three of the college season. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help if you are in North Mississippi, especially if you're a farmer. 
you've got equipment needs, need to buy a new piece of equipment to help maintain land. Maybe you're trying to buy a new piece of property to add to the size of the farm. Maybe it's an equipment loan. I said that, but I'm kind of doubling down on the equipment loan idea. Maybe you're going to refinance an existing loan or get a production loan. Check out Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. You can find a branch location near you in North Mississippi, or just grab the phone number from there and give them a call. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Just after 5 o'clock, that means it is time for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Great promotion going on right now with the uh, Ford F-150. You want to buy a 2019 XLT model? Well, now you can get a complimentary upgrade of leather and a liner, either the drop-in plastic bed liner or the spray-in bed liner, whichever you prefer. That's available only at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. You can log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks in America are built Ford tough. Let's start with players of the week from the uh, the SEC. Offensive player of the week this week was Brian Haydad's favorite quarterback in all of college football, Mighty Joe Burrow. Right, Haydad? He's good. <laughs> career-high 471 passing yards, career-high 31 completions, in leading LSU to its first-ever road win over a top-10-ranked non-conference opponent. Can that be true? First-ever road win over a top-10 non-conference opponent? I mean, it just speaks to how many or how few road games against top-quality teams LSU's played through the years. Joe Burrow was 31 of 39, four touchdown passes, one pick, the 471 yards, that's number two in school history. The 479 total yards that he had in the game ranks number two in school history. 45 points that LSU scored against Texas, most by an, a, uh, an LSU team against a top 10 opponent since 2007. That was Virginia Tech. LSU punted only twice in the game. Joe Burrow is now 12-3 and three as LSU's starting quarterback. Uh, Nick Bolton, linebacker for Missouri, was the Defensive Player of the Week, Special Teams Player of the Week, Cade York, the place kicker from LSU. Offensive Lineman of the Week, Landon Young from Kentucky, and Daryl Williams from Mississippi State. A couple of notes about Daryl Williams. Preseason All-SEC, graded out highest for Mississippi State in the rushing attack that produced 210 yards against the Southern Miss defense that had not allowed a 100-yard rusher in its previous 15 games. No pressures on the quarterback for uh, credited to Williams. And how about this? Southern Miss entered the game against Mississippi State having not surrendered 30 or more points in the last 12 games. That was the fifth longest streak in the country, and Mississippi State not only had the 200-plus uh, yards rushing, but also scored over 30. Marlon Davidson from Auburn was the defensive lineman of the week. And the SEC Freshman of the Week was Matt Corral. 16 of 24, 246 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, 46 yards on the ground, career high in attempts, completions, passing yards, and rushing attempts. And the second time in his career that he's thrown for two touchdowns in a game. So Matt Corral, the SEC Freshman of the Week. Hey, Dad, we talked about it going into the year. We talked with Daryl Williams when we were at SEC Media Days. It's going to be important for him to be solid. And the transition that he has made um, from, what, guard to center on the offensive line, or was it tackle to center? It was guard. Tackle or guard? 
guard. Yeah, from guard to center has been absolutely seamless. Yeah, and I had a feeling that it would be. You know, he's just a really talented football player, a guy that I think we'll uh, we'll see on Sundays uh, in in the very near future. And it, but like you said, it's very important because State needs him to lead. And if he had to, if the transition was a problem for him, he couldn't be that leader. He'd have, he'd be too focused on himself. The 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 fact that he's taken to it so easily allows him to to be the leader Mississippi State needs him to be. Very good. Well, he's been solid through the uh, first two games of the year. The uh, the TV schedule is out for week four. So we we had the TV schedule set for the first two weeks of the season, and then they announced week three, and we're starting to get the TV times now two weeks out, other than when you have the, the little delays because CBS or somebody's trying to figure out what they want to do. Here's what you've got, and it, it certainly leads to some question marks or some questions for the Saturday, September 21st slate of games. LSU Vandy, Tennessee, Florida in Gainesville, and Southern Miss at Alabama will be on some combination of ESPN, ESPN2, or the SEC Network, and all three of those games will kick off at 11 a.m. Also at 11 a.m., Cal at Ole Miss. That game is going to be on ESPNU. If you've been listening and paying attention to Sports Talk for the last, oh, six weeks or so, you uh, you had a heads up that this is likely what was going to happen. Ole Miss wanted to play this game at 11 o'clock. Uh, Matt Luke wanted it at 11 o'clock. The administration sided with him on that uh, and had requested that when the SEC was doing the scheduling, if there was any way possible to play that game at 11. Now, here's my question. Are, are the reasons that Ole Miss wanted to play at 11 overplayed, or do you think they're justified? They want to take a West Coast team and have them play a game that is at 9 o'clock on their body clocks, and the hope is it'll be good and hot. I mean, that, that, that's what Ole Miss wants. Do you think those things matter? To the degree that some people think it may, probably not. But why would you not provide yourself any kind of competitive advantage if you think you have one? I saw some sarcastic remarks made on social media from – uh, some people about how Ole Miss thinks it'll provide an advantage and Cal just beat Washington. So that, no, that that doesn't make any sense. If you think it may help you, even if just a little bit, why would you not lobby to gain a competitive advantage? So of course you want to play them when it's 9 o'clock their time, and of course you want it to be as hot as it can be because Cal, or where Berkeley, where Cal is, has had like two days where it's gone above 88 degrees since they started fall camp. So they're not going to be used to the, the heat and humidity that you could get here. It may not matter, but if it does, even if just a little bit, you still want to do it. So lobbying right. for that makes a ton of sense, but pretending like it won't matter at all, I think it's also kind of silly. It is different, and you should try to help yourself. But what gives you a bigger competitive advantage? Playing at 11 and knowing the crowd will suffer from it or getting that game slotted at... I don't know, seven o'clock. It's a or, good question. Or, or, or six thirty. It's a really good question. I, I can't imagine why the crowd. Look, I'm not dumb. Crowds are a little bit more um, fickle, ready uh, for a six o'clock game than they are at eleven. Uh, but if Ole Miss goes and wins Saturday, which they're going to against Southeast Louisiana, there's no excuse to not have a really good crowd for eleven o'clock anyway. And People will show up to an 11 a.m. game. 
Will they be as rowdy? No, but there's no excuse for the crowd not to be good. So I would take my chances with the humidity and throwing them off with what would be a, what, 4 a.m. local time for them wake-up call on Saturday morning as yeah. opposed to maybe having a, you know, people that are slightly more intoxicated for a night game. CBS doubleheader two weeks from or a week from this Saturday, so September 21st. Game one of the doubleheader, Auburn at Texas A&M. Mississippi State and Kentucky will play at 3 o'clock Central Time, as will South Carolina and Missouri. One of those games will be on the SEC Network. The other game will be on the SEC Network alternate channel. San Jose State will play at Arkansas at 6.30 Central on the SEC Network. And that begs the question, well, hold on a second. Why wouldn't you take one of those other two SEC games and put it on the SEC Network in the primetime slot? And the answer is actually fairly simple. The contract that the SEC has with CBS dictates that on a night when CBS has one of its two primetime games, the SEC Network, and I guess ESPN as well, cannot have an SEC conference game head-to-head with the CBS primetime game. So you've got Notre Dame at Georgia kicking off at 7, hence San Jose State at Arkansas, a non-conference matchup, is at 6.30 on the SEC Network, and you're going to have a conference game, either Kentucky-Mississippi State or South Carolina-Missouri, on the SEC Network alternate channel. So that's your slate of games for Saturday, September 21st. If you were curious uh, as to why Mississippi State wasn't playing in that 6.30 slot, instead they've got a 3 o'clock slot. That's the reason. And uh, so what, it'll be 3 o'clock on September 21st, and that's the day that Mississippi State's doing the blackout against Kentucky. Might be warm. More coming up with you. That's your college football fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday afternoon. Week two in the rearview mirror. Mississippi State off to a 2-0 start. Ole Miss off to a 1-1 start. Southern Miss is 1-1 after a win against Alcorn to start the year and then the loss this past weekend. Let's go big picture around the country for a little bit and the things that jumped out at you that that stand out. The, the, The lion's share of the national focus was on Austin, on Saturday. Game day there, it was hot, packed house. A lot of people have talked about the um, the, the fact that LSU's allotment of tickets was small and that it was in the upper deck and that they put the LSU band in the upper deck. Borky, we've done fair or foul before, right? Yeah, fair I need to bring or that foul back. on putting the opposing team's band in the upper deck. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. If you got a big stadium and you can bury the band, go for it. It's it's not it's not even fair or foul though. LSU gets those tickets and they decide what to do with them. It's LSU's decision to put the band in the upper deck and try to sell the lower level tickets to their boosters. I wonder how many lower level tickets they got because there were very. I mean, Joe Burrow's dad was sitting in the upper deck. Oh, uh, isn't yeah. that the thing? Is Part of the agreement was they gave such a small number to the other te- Like when Texas goes back to LSU, LSU will not comply with the SEC rule that says a certain amount of seats need to be you know, within a certain length of the field or whatever. They're not going to abide by that. 
And so it'll be like a returning the favor thing. I heard that yesterday in the pregame leading up to it that Texas did not give LSU what they're used to when they go on the road in the SEC. So there may not have yeah. been an LSU section in the lower bowl because they, in the Big 12, they don't have to do that. I, I certainly didn't see what... Now, the only thing that I've got to compare it to is when Ole Miss and Texas played the, the home and home, and there were a bunch of Texas fans in Oxford, and there was a big Ole Miss crowd in Austin as well. But the section now where right next to where Texas's band was, down, down by the end zone where they're doing construction, that last section in the lower part of the stadium was Ole Miss's section. I don't know if it was the entire section or if it was just like the bottom two-thirds of it or what, but I do remember that's where the majority of the Ole Miss fans that were there were, and then there were a bunch of others that were scattered kind of throughout the stadium. But you're right, Borky. I mean, whatever the number of tickets that LSU got from Texas, if it was 1,000 or 1,500 or 3,500, whatever it was, that's exactly what um, LSU will give to Texas next year. So I actually got a text from, from somebody a little while ago. We were talking about visiting crowds, and somebody was making uh, reference to the Arkansas crowd. I think it was Greg and Nettleton who was talking about Arkansas not traveling well. This text said, I think you're overestimating the visitor crowd potential of most schools in the conference. I think 2,000 is a good visitor crowd unless you're at Vandy. Your fans can buy all they want there. But he said, I'll bet the max, and I mean the max that's provided to visitors is about 5,000, and most schools only use about 2,500 of those. And that that has changed in the last decade. You know what 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 the numbers may not have dramatically changed. I, I think there was a point. You know, if you go back a decade or fifteen years, where most schools in the SEC were getting five to sixty five hundred, maybe seven thousand in their visiting ticket allotment. And generally speaking, fans traveled fairly well, but it's just changed. People are not. You're having a hard enough time getting people to home games, much less going on road games. Might be the larger product of a couple of things. The at-home experience getting better, so uh, the person in Little Rock that would usually make the three-hour drive, maybe they just decided, well, the team's bad, the game might not be very good. Arkansas wants to charge me 60 bucks for the ticket if I buy through the university. I might as well just stay home and watch it on my 70-inch TV. And they don't even have beer there yet. And I would like to have a drink while watching the game. And then on top of that, just the the overall, I, I don't know what to call it other than in the SEC, you go you have the same road trips every two years. So the novelty of an Arkansas fan going to Oxford and going to the Grove and all that stuff is kind of worn off, right? I mean, how many times can you see a place before it's not special anymore? So the yeah. crossover road trips, because they never happen, are going to be trips that you want to take. But now that don't, you... Don't you think that, hey, Dad, Mississippi State will take a pretty decent crowd to Knoxville this year because it's been so long since Mississippi State's played at Tennessee? I would imagine that would be the biggest road crowd, outside of, obviously, the trip to, to New Orleans. Between the four conference games, I think it'll be, especially now, because tickets should be available... Yeah. And uh, hotel rooms should be a little bit cheaper, and those kind of things. So yeah, I think that I think there'll be a good section of maroon and white when we get to Knoxville. I mean, look, uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State don't sell out their allotments for the Egg Bowl anymore. No, I mean that that, that that's where you are. 
right now. How many Southern Miss fans were were in Starkville? I, kind of looking on TV, it looked like the the section around the Southern Miss band was was kind of scattered with empty seats. Yeah, that's probably a fair assessment. It's a couple thousand. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Um, Joe Burrow, great. LSU, really good. And all of a sudden, you get people talking about, hey, is this the year that LSU's finally going to put up a fight and have some punch with their offense when they go to Tuscaloosa in November? If they keep throwing it around like this, yeah. Man, I don't know if they're going to win. They're probably not going to go there and win, but this is their best chance in a very long time. LSU's got a really good receiving core also. It's amazing. I mean, they've had a really good receiving core for a decade. They've just never actually used it. Trevor Lawrence was pretty good. Kellen Mond was not nearly as good as he was a year ago against Texas A&M. And the Aggies, for the most part, were uncompetitive, despite getting the backdoor cover as they scored late in the ball game and used some timeouts to get to that point. I, I, look, Jimbo Fisher's playing it out, trying to get his team some momentum and trying to, uh, you know, take something away from that ball game. But or he I, had ten large on the game, one way or the other. He makes seven and a half million a year. Yeah. I don't think he's worried about ten grand. I was wondering about that in Starkville when when uh, Southern scored to make it thirty-one to uh, thirteen, and they went for two. Now I get it that you know two more touchdowns and two point two more two point conversions ties the game, but it was sixteen and a half, right? Yeah, there's that little card though that coaches carry around that tells them whether or not to go for two. Yes, I, I as a as a person who's followed MSU for as long as I have, I am fully aware of the card and its uh, properties. <laughs> That's because you followed Mississippi State. Yes, Jackie Sherrill, <laughs> big believer in the card. Yeah, uh, uh, among other things. Anything else that jumped out to you nationally over the weekend? Southern Cal pretty good against Stanford with their um, their second uh, string quarterback now the starter. That yeah, Cal Washington was interesting. I went to bed on Southern Cal Stanford. I, I, it was seventeen three Stanford when I, I called it a night. I woke up that next morning. I was like, "What do you mean they won handily?" Yeah, FSU's a mess. Ooh, we forget to talk about that. Talk about a loser. You got a bunch in that game. Overtime loss to ULM. Win. And they, they, they won the game. In overtime. Say what? They won the game. ULM missed the extra point. I, I, I'm to sorry. Win. I, that, I'm sorry. Overtime game against ULM. ULM is not able to extend because they missed the extra point. Go for two. Go for two. Rest of the SEC from this weekend. Bama wins by 52 over New Mexico State and does not cover. Georgia wins 63-17 over Murray State and does not cover. Auburn 24-6 over Tulane. And did they cover? It was a 17-point line. Oh, they won by 18, so they just they barely did. They did we, cover, we, but is that the Auburn team that, uh, look, they beat Oregon, not to take away that win, but let's be honest, they probably shouldn't have. Uh, the Auburn team that you saw Saturday is more likely the one that's going to be there all season long, right? Young quarterback with growing pains, issues up front of the down. offensive line, really good on the defensive front. Really, their entire defense will be really good, but... There's going to be some growing pains with Bo Nix. He's, he's not a Heisman contender or anything. 
No, he's not a Heisman contender. But they're going to be up and down. He's going to have moments and flashes. No, Joe Burrow, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh, how the tune has changed. Hey, man, if you, can't, if you can't watch sports and change your opinion, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to be a guy who tells you one thing on Monday, something changes the world on Wednesday, and then on Friday I still have the same opinion. You can't change your opinion. It's too late. I've, I've changed it, Rippy. You just got to live with my so. changed opinion. Yeah. The, the only thing about you changing your opinion is you didn't just have an opinion. I was had like a strong you, opinion. You, you, you got a, a, a D5 bulldozer and constructed a hill on which to die. Well. And have now chosen well, not to die on that hill. Richard, I, you, you can deliver the eulogy, then. <laughs> Fair enough. We got more coming up. A Super Talk Mississippi <laughs> media production. 